0: Uh, for, the, uh, for the text this morning, would you turn with me to John um, the 14? The 14th chapter of John uh, for the scripture reading this morning. We'll be in verses uh, 15 down through 31. So 15 down through the end of the chapter. Uh, what'd you say when you find your place? Uh, verse 15 if you love me keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you orphans I will come to you A little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Therefore let it it be afraid. Neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice, because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you, before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, and let us go from here.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus this morning. Lord, once again, wanting to give You thanks. Lord, once again, seeking to hear from You. Lord, that You may teach us by Your your Word, by Your truth. Conform our thinking to Yours and increase our understanding so that we are aware of You the way that we should be, so that we're aware of Your presence. And Lord, so that we always seek to do those things that are pleasing to You and bring glory and honor to Your name. We're thankful, Lord, for the gift of Your Son coming into this world, living among the hostility, going to the cross at Calvary lay down his own life for sinners, such as I and everyone in this room. We're thankful, Lord, as believers today for the gift of your Spirit. Thank you for teaching us, leading us into all truth. And again, Lord, as we consider this passage, Open our hearts and minds that your truth may have the intended effect that we may be conformed to the image of your dear Son and that your name may be magnified through all of these things. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, just a little bit of context here. Remember, this is the, the night we're, we're reading about in this chapter. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. He's about to be uh, about to be taken, taken away, uh, to be crucified. And uh, as really, just as you would expect from the Lord, at, at this time of great anxiety for Him great stress upon his own soul, rather than seeking comfort from those around him, he's giving comfort. And that's what's taking place here among uh, in the midst of this last meal together, Jesus and his disciples. He's encouraging them, comforting them, because they're confused. Jesus is talking about going away. He's saying, you know, just... while you won't see me, then you'll see me again and I'll come back. And then even has spoken at times very explicitly about his crucifixion. And they're confused by these things. They don't understand. And so um, they're troubled, greatly troubled. And so that's why he starts out in verse 1 saying, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he assures them that he's going to prepare a place and coming back uh, again. So, Jesus is offering comfort to the disciples. And now, in, in this section, and we're actually going to uh, take this section in two parts this morning and tonight. Um, we won't cover all the way through 31 this morning. But now in this section, He begins, begins to talk about another comforter. So that's what we're going to consider this morning, um, a little bit about... Uh, First of all, who Jesus is talking to specifically, and uh, and and what he means by another comforter um, coming to them. So let's go back to verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. All right. So even before we begin to consider um, who this other comforter is that Jesus is talking about, and uh, even whether whether it's a who or not a who or a it, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, but even before we consider that, uh, we we need to consider who Jesus is talking to. And one one reason I, I say this is because there's there's a level of emphasis put on this that I I don't know that I previously noticed, but I noticed this week. Jesus is very explicit in um, defining his particular audience here, uh, as he gives the the promises. I mean, he's making promises, he's giving assurances, offering comfort, but it's to a specific group, you might say. And, and it's going to, I'll just tell you up front, it's going to include, of course, those who are sitting there listening to him, his disciples. In fact, there are parts that I think are limited to them, but then... Praise the Lord, there are parts that go beyond that and include all believers in all times. So include us as well. So these are very relevant passages. You, I mean, you, you might be thinking in your mind, well, I wasn't there on the Last Supper and I wasn't there when he returned a few days later after his resurrection. So what does this have to me have to do with me? Well, it has implications for us as well and, and some of it is, is, um, is uh, very re- relevant to our own experience. So who is he talking to? Well, of course, as I already mentioned, the disciples which would include, may not, be, may not be limited to, but would include the eleven. Judas has, has, uh, has gone now to betray Jesus. So he's left with the eleven that he has chosen, possibly others in the room. Uh, he had other disciples that followed him up to the end of his ministry. And so he says to them, again, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now what I want us to notice here is is Jesus is drawing a a parallel between love and obedience. So, in other words, this is how He's identifying those to whom He speaks. In fact, we could go a little bit further and let's just think about love for a minute. Jesus Jesus gives us a description of what genuine love is. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. So, He's saying love has an, an evidence in terms of our relationship with Him, and we'll see in a moment, also in terms of His relationship with the Father, love has an evidence so that those who love Jesus can be recognized in a particular way. That's not by the way we dress. It's not by the way we cut our hair or anything like that. It's by our obedience to Him. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. Look down at verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And the, the structure of the, uh, the Greek here, all, all of the verbs, having, keeping, loving, they're in the, the same verb tense, the present tense form. So they're, they're intended to correlate, to go together. Those having and keeping my commandments are the ones loving me. It's, that's the mark. That's the evidence. That's, um, we talked about a couple of Wednesday nights ago about the, the, the birthmark that we all bear as Christians. If you're born of God, you have love for the brethren. Well, in, in a similar way here, if we love Christ, there's something that marks us. There's an evidence of that, and it is our obedience to Him. Notice, it's not just having the commandments. You, you could say in one sense, if you own a Bible, you've got the commandments of God. You have the commandments of God. Well, then you love God. No, that's not what He says. You have them and you keep them, is what He says. Then you are loving. If you're having them and keeping them, then you're loving them. And, and you think about the history of the Jews throughout the Old Testament, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning, in their vain worship, they had revelation from God. They had all kinds of blessings given to them. You know, the Ten Commandments we talk about, really, in in the, the commandments in the Old Testament, total over 600. They had that. They had God's written revelation given to them. They had form of worship prescribed by God. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the New Testament doesn't tell us exactly how, what to do when we come together other than, you know, we're to hear the the word proclaimed and so forth. But it doesn't tell us, you know, what kind of building we're to build. It doesn't tell us what time we're supposed to meet. It doesn't tell us what color carpet to have or anything like that. In the Old Testament, all of those things were laid out. They had even the form of worship prescribed for them. So they possessed the Word of God. They possessed the commandments. They possessed all of these blessings. But they didn't keep them. That is, they, they didn't grasp God's Word. It wasn't meaningful to them, except maybe in some superstitious way. They didn't love it. They didn't love God. God's truth didn't draw them closer to Him like it was intended to do. And I'm speaking in general, uh, you know, I'm generalizing. It would not be true of every Jew. Some of them did love God very much. But generally they did not. So they possessed the commandments, but they didn't obey. They didn't do what God said. So Jesus is, is being clear here. Whoever is having my commandments, and, or you possess them, you've heard them, you know them, you're aware of them, and you're keeping them. There's the obedience. This is the one. He it is, Jesus says, who is loving me. So there's that correlation. Having, keeping, and loving. And that's who He's talking to. The the promise that we're going to examine a little bit in a moment is directed at those having, keeping, and therefore loving And he who loves me, he goes on to say in verse 21, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, you notice this same um, concept down in verse 23. If anyone loves me, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Now, this time he, he, he says word, but he's meaning the same thing. He uses commandments and word interchangeably. We do that as well a lot um, in in referring to to God's Word, to the Bible or something like that. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my Word. And my Father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. So, again, there's the mark. There's the evidence. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my Word. He'll obey. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Or you have my commandments, you'll keep them, and you're the one loving me. Now, look down again. You'll see the same concept in verse 31. Except this time he's referring to himself and his relationship with the Father. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do what the Father has commanded me so the world may know that I love the Father. So there's the evidence. There's the evidence of the real love for the Father. Jesus obeyed the Father all the way to the end. He carried out to the full God's plan, the Father's plan of redemption. He said just a few chapters back, I always do those things that please the Father. I don't say anything out of my own initiative, Jesus said. I speak what the Father tells me to speak. I do what the Father tells me to do. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So there's, there's the same correlation. Love and obedience. Love and obedience. So that's, that's who Jesus has in view here. That's who He's talking to. Now, I'm going to show you in a minute some of, it, some of, it, some of what He says will be limited to those who were sitting there with Him. But then much of it extends beyond that and uh, is applicable to us as well. So, So take note, when you see those things, whoever loves me, whoever has my commandments and is keeping them is the one who is loving me. And then he goes on to make certain promises and they apply uh, to us as well. So let's go back again to verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. Now, Remember what He's doing here. He's offering offering words of of, uh, comfort, words of assurance, because His disciples are greatly troubled over what is taking place. They don't understand what's going on. Jesus has already told them, I'm leaving. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving. Now He's he's going to tell them, "I'm, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So let's, let's uh, read through a few of these verses here. Again, verse 16. I will ask the Father and He will give you another comforter. So uh, the wording there is, is the idea of a, com- a comforter like the one you already know, but it's another one. So the first question that might come up is who, who's, who's the one they already know? Who's the one that they're already familiar with? Well, of course, it's Jesus. Jesus is their comforter, living with them day in day out, 20, 24-7 over this past three, three-and-a-half-year period. And in fact, John, you, you remember from our Wednesday night study, uses the same noun to refer to Jesus that's translated helper here or comforter here. Uh, it's translated advocate over in 1 John. We have an advocate with the Father. The word is paraclete or Parakletos. We say paraclete, and it can mean advocate, counselor, comforter. Um, King James translates it comforter. ESV here that I was just reading from translates it helper. Jesus is saying, I will ask the Father for you, those who are obeying me, those who are loving me, and their love is marked by obedience. So in other words, those who are in genuine relationship with me, loving me, for you I will ask the Father, and He will send another Helper to be with you forever. What or who is He talking about? Well, He goes on to say, verse 17, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, you know Him for He dwells with you and we'll be in you. So who's the other, the other helper or comforter or counselor? The Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. Now, let me say this first before I get to that. What do we mean by helper or comforter? It, it's, it's, I mean, it's not just... We don't have the idea that it's just somebody there to, to, to pat us on the back and make us feel better. although His presence is certainly life-transforming and it makes you feel better, but but it doesn't mean that you won't have any uncomfortable situations, okay? It means that you will have comfort in the uncomfortable situations, not not comfort because of the situation, but comfort from inside, not comfort from outside, but comfort from inside, from the Spirit of God Himself. And in that sense, he's, He's the helper, Again, we, we, you know, we want to think of it in the right way. A lot of times when you say helper, you're, the way we use that term a lot of times, we're meaning somebody inferior. You know? um, like maybe uh, if I were a carpenter, you know, I'm, I'm the master carpenter and I have helpers that, that help me out. That's the way we generally uh, use the term. You know, I've, I've worked, of um, uh, course, labor jobs and that's, that's what you do. You help you know, uh, somebody that really knows what they're doing. But that's not what he means by helper here. The idea is that we're helpless in and of ourselves, and we've, we've got to have help not from somebody inferior, but from somebody superior. Somebody who's not helpless. Somebody who can come on the scene and rescue. David in Psalm 121, that's what he means. I will look unto the hills... From whence comes my help? My help is in the Lord. He's he's not talking about somebody inferior uh, other than himself. He's meaning I'm inferior. And the Lord, who is superior to all, Lord over all, can rescue me. I will look to Him because He's my help. And so that's the idea behind helper. Or if you choose the word counselor. Uh, Again, don't think in terms of somebody who sits on a couch with a notepad and says, okay, tell me all your problems, and I'll try to you know, say something nice and fluffy that will make you uh, feel better about your circumstances. No, he, he, the idea would be more like a, a lawyer, an advocate, who defends you, who, who makes your, your case, who stands for you. In your place and and does what again, what you're unable to do on your own, what I'm unable to do on my own. I can't help myself. So if you're not trained, for example, in law, it's probably not a good idea to represent yourself if you have to go to court. You need an advocate. You need you need somebody who can talk to the judge in your behalf. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you a helper, another helper. A helper like me, like and yet not the same. It's a different one, a different, a different person, another helper. Now, of course, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, which he goes on to say, the Spirit of truth. And then just a few verses down, um, in verse 26, he does say, the helper, the Holy Spirit. So, we often refer to him as the third person of the Trinity, Father Son, second person of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, which is Jesus, of course, the eternal Son of God, and then the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. All three, by the way, God and one God. Hard for us to get our minds around, right? One God, yet one God who exists in three persons. So you have a distinction in persons, but a unity of essence. Singularity of essence. There is only one God. But he exists in three persons, and the eternal Son of God came into the world, took flesh upon himself. We saw that back in chapter 1. The Logos, the eternal Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going. We talked about that last week. I go to prepare a place. So he has to go to the cross to prepare a place for us in the presence of God. And he's going to be seated at the right hand of God. So now, he says, I send another Comforter, referring to the Holy Spirit. Now notice what he says here. Even the Spirit of Truth, which by the way is, uh, um, gives some insight into his ministry, what he does. He'll lead us into truth because he comes testifying of the truth. He's the Spirit of Truth even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. So again, Jesus is being very specific in His audience. Talking to those who love Me, those who obey Me, sending you a Comforter. In fact, the world cannot receive Him. They're not able to receive Him. Not able to even know Him. Because the world is steeped in error, in wickedness. Same shape we were in before we came to the knowledge of Christ. And you don't have any real knowledge of God and the things of God. So the world is ignorant of the Spirit of truth. And yet Jesus says, I'm sending him to you. And he'll be with you forever. It's also interesting, in, in that in, again, in verse 17, he says, The world cannot receive Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Now, he's already told the disciples, you know the way. He says, I'm going. I'll come back for you so that you can be where I am. You know the way. And Thomas speaks up in verse, in verse uh, 5 and says, We don't know the way. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus essentially says, well, you you, you already know the way because you know me. Verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. Similarly here, he's he's telling them about the Holy Spirit, which on on one hand they don't have any awareness of, any, any information on, and yet he says, you know him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So even though they're oblivious to it, the Holy Spirit is already in their midst and already working among them. He's with you, and Jesus says, He will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now let me say, verse 18, I think um, there's a sense in which certainly this applies to all of us, but there's also a sense in which it's limited to the the disciples that are there with Him. And that's that's in this way. He's he's saying to them because at this moment they are troubled because they've been informed that He's leaving. They don't understand. They're trying to process all of this and they're, they're greatly troubled. And so Jesus is reassuring them, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to... You. So I think that's a reference to his appearance after the resurrection. He's letting them know, I'm leaving, I'm not forsaking you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I will come to you. You will see me again. Verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. He's making reference to His resurrection. He's giving them some promises. One, you're not going to be abandoned. I'll ask the Father. He'll send another comforter. Plus, post-resurrection, and and actually before sending the other comforter, post-resurrection and before sending the other comforter, I will see you again. I will come to you you'll not be abandoned and because i live because i'm raised again you will live also and these are great promises now i said in some sense they apply uh, the application is limited to them in some place it applies to us so let me let's just there's a principle here certainly that applies to all of us you're you're never you're never an orphan never that's that's important to know because we go through situations sometimes where it seems, it can seem that we're abandoned. And Jesus is, is letting them know, he's letting us know. You're, you're never abandoned. The Holy Spirit is always with you. When the storms of life rage, like the song I was singing earlier, he's with us. He's with us. And sometimes you don't see that in the midst. And we come out on the other side of the storm and we realize, you know what, and I, you, you hear these testimonies, you, we come out on the other side and realize to our, our, ourselves, I, I could not have made it through had not God not only been with me, but saw to it that I was going through. He takes us through. He takes us through. Any parent, any parent can identify with that, right? If, you're, if your kid is struggling in some way, you're going to do what you can to get them through that. If you can take their place, you will. If you can't take their place, you'll be there for them. You're going to do what you can to get them through. That's what Jesus is saying. You're not orphans. You're never going to be orphans. And we've got a Father who is always, always able to help. Again, not as an inferior. He doesn't just come along and take up our slack. (laughs) He helps as a superior. He is our help. He's our rock and our shield, our strong tower. He's the one who carries us through. So I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. And because I live you also will live. Verse 20, In that day, and again, I think he's talking about when, when he's resurrected, when he comes to them again, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, what I just briefly tried to explain a few moments ago with the Holy Trinity um, is foreign to them, they don't get the concept. When Jesus talks about being one with the Father, when He talks about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit coming to dwell with them, all of that's foreign to them. They don't get it, but Jesus says you will. When I come again to you, then you will know at that day that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Verse 21. Whoever has My commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves Me, and he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love him and manifest Myself to him. So here's a question for us. Do we love Jesus? Well, Let's, let's go back to what we were talking about earlier. Because there's, there's, there's an evidence, right? There's a way we can know. Do we love Jesus? What's the evidence of our love for Jesus? Obedience, right? Obedience. We obey Jesus. That's evidence. Not the Not the condition. I mean, you don't, you don't get the Father to love you by obeying. I think Jesus is setting these things forth as evidence. If you obey Jesus, then, then your love for Him is true, and therefore you can know that the Father loves you. you. You are loved by the Father. These are evidences. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, He who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I will love Him and manifest Myself to Him. So, do we love Jesus? If the answer to that is yes, yes, we love Him, we're obeying Him, we're seeking to please Him in all things and to glorify Him, we're trusting in Him for the forgiveness of our sins and for eternal salvation, then Jesus says, you're loved of the Father. So, you have another Comforter, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and you have the assurance of the Father's love, and you have the assurance of the presence of Jesus Himself and the Father. In verse 21, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love Him and manifest myself to Him. The word manifest there is just the idea of making known. I will make myself known to Him. Now, I think there's a little bit of of circular reasoning here that we need to catch. I, I think he's talking about here. Um, And Judas, and this is not Judas uh, the betrayer, um, but Judas uh, raises a question here in verse 22. Good logical question. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? See, Jesus has just said, in a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will, because I'm going to, Come to you and I'm going to manifest myself to you. So Judas is thinking, how, how can that be? One reason, of course, because again, this doesn't jive with their concept of Messiah. They're expecting Him to come on the scene and make Himself known to the world as ruler and king. Well, how, how are you going to fulfill all this? How are you going to be the Messiah? And how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Now, look at what Jesus says here in verse 23. Of course, he's already been hitting on this. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There's the obedience again. And my Father will love him. There's, there's the promise of the love of the Father again. Those who are obeying me, are loving me, and those who are loving me are loved by the Father. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. Notice this time, plural, we will come. And he's not, this time he's not referring to the Spirit, although that still holds true. The Spirit's going to be in you forever. But now he's referring to himself and the Father. We will come to you and make our home with him, with you. That, the word he uses for home there is the same one used back in um, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's, it's dwelling place. So if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our dwelling place with him. And then on the opposite, whoever does not love me does not keep my words, verse 24, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So here's the question, right? Judas' question. How are you going to manifest yourself? How are you going to make yourself known to us and not to the world? Well, I think Jesus basically gives a two-part answer here. And this is where I mean it's The first one is where I mean it's a little bit circular. His answer is, first, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. I think Jesus is saying that, that's, that's an evidence. That's, that's a, a revealing of myself. In other words, we could do it this way. You can ask yourself this. Why do I love Jesus? Why do I obey Jesus? Why, why do those things concern me at all? Why do I care about what Jesus thinks? And I think the answer would be because He has made Himself known to us. In particular, by His Spirit. That is, His indwelling presence. He says, i pray to the Father, He'll send another Comforter who will be in you forever. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit within us that creates the desire to obey. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within us that creates the love for Jesus. So he's saying, this this is the way that I will manifest myself to you. You will obey my word. It will be a mark, an evidence that you know me. And this is the way, second part, My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. How will you, Jesus says, how will you make yourself known to us and not to the world? No doubt. He's thinking thinking, um, outward manifestations, right? Something like calling fire down from heaven or something of that sort. And how are you going to do that in private? How are you going to manifest who you are, your kingship, the fact that you're Lord, the fact that you're supreme over all? How are you going to make that known without the whole world seeing it? And Jesus is saying, because it's going to be an inner work, the Father and I will come to you and make our dwelling place with you. In other words, dwell within us. He's working on the inside of us, revealing himself. And even though we have objective um, outward revelation, like the Bible, right? This reveals God, right? This reveals the truth, reveals the truth about salvation. And it's objective. Objective truth is something on the outside of us. But it's the Holy Spirit that even reveals to us that this is true. It's not obvious to the whole world, is it? A lot of people out there that refuse to believe the Bible. And they've tried for more than 2,000 years to discredit it and have been unable to do so. And yet they still deny it. And they still fight against it. Well, I could, again, ask myself a question. Why is that not the case with me? Why do I believe that this is God's Word? It's because of what Jesus is saying here. I will manifest Myself to you. I will make Myself known to you. The Father and I will come to you and dwell, make our dwelling place with you. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, will be in you forever. And He's the One that leads us into all truth. So on one hand, Jesus is saying His His manifestation to us, making Himself known to us, is seen in our obedience to Him, our love for Him. And on the other hand, He's saying, it's an experience. (laughs) In other words, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, God's own presence within us is something that we experience that the world does not. They're not able. Not able to, he says. They neither, the world that is, neither receives the Spirit nor knows him. Oblivious to the Holy Spirit, to the work of the Spirit. And yet for the believer, Jesus says he'll be in you and he'll be in you forever. He'll be, he'll be revealing um, Christ To us, making Christ known to us, and His presence within us is something that we'll be aware of, something that we experience, something that we know. Look, there are a lot of things, there are a lot of experiences that we can share as human beings. You know, I don't know, you get on a, 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 a... you get on a ride at a carnival or something like that and, and you think it's great and you go grab a friend and you say, let's go ride this. And You want them to experience what you experienced. And then there are some things that you can't do that with. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is, is an experience, but it's not something that I can invite somebody else into, so to speak, and say, come experience this with me. It's something they have to experience on their own. And so it can take place, and does take place, while the world is oblivious, as Thomas questions, or Judas rather, as Judas' question suggests. How are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because Jesus is going to do it inside of us, changing our hearts, putting a new heart within us, putting His own Spirit within us. The Father, Jesus. Dwelling within us. And then he reminds them again of the coming and the presence of the Holy Spirit in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And I want to take up the next few verses tonight, but let me let me close with this. And maybe I'll put it in just kind of put it in the form of question here. Let me have you experienced the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? Well, what are what are some things that He does? What are some ways that He works? Well He convicts us of sin, for example. Now, there's a word, rather, that the world doesn't like, a concept that the world doesn't like, the idea of sin. And yet, Christians understand. Some things are right, some things are wrong. We understand the concept of sin, which is the concept of rebellion against God is what it is. And we understand it because we've been there. We've been, we've been rebels. We know what it is to be in rebellion against God, and we know what it is to, be, to have God overcome that rebellion and bring us into fellowship with Himself. So we understand the concept of sin. And that's because of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, it's true that um, we, we have an objective record. God has given us His Word and any person could pick up this book and read all about and learn all about sin. And the revelation here is sufficient. I mean, it tells us the truth. And yet, it takes the Spirit of God opening up our minds and hearts to the Word of God in order for us to really grasp it. So that's, that's what I mean by experiencing the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you understand, do you truly grasp, for example that God's Word is true. Do you see yourself as a sinner, one who's in rebellion against God, one who's in need of reconciliation to God? The answer to those questions is yes. That's that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what He does. Do you see Jesus? You think again about verse 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through Me. Do you see the reality of that? Do you understand that Jesus is the only way of salvation, the only way of reconciliation to God, the only way of forgiveness for our, rebe- our rebellion? If you do, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what He does. Convicts us of sin, reveals Jesus to us, that is, He reveals the truth of God to us and God's way of salvation. And what about the comfort that we talked about earlier? The awareness of His presence as we go through life's trouble and situations. Now, it's true. Sometimes our awareness of the Spirit of God, God's presence within us, sometimes our awareness of His presence just goes to almost zero. I mean, if it were like a a meter like a gas gauge, sometimes it just almost drops to E. And you can have a feeling, let me emphasize that, you can have a feeling of being God forsaken. And that's one reason it's so important to know the Word and to know the words like we have right here in front of us today where Jesus is saying, the Comforter will be with you forever, and I will not leave you as orphans. So it's true, there are times that we don't, our awareness of His presence is not what it should be, and, and we have to fall back then on the objective truth of God's Word and say, God is true to His Word. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. But then it's also true that oftentimes the awareness, is there. And the comfort is there. Even in a subjective sense. We experience the indwelling presence of God. So Jesus is giving assurance not only for those with Him that night, but for us today. Brothers and sisters, if this... Uh, culture is moving the direction that I perceive that it's moving, we're going to need a greater and greater and greater awareness. We already need it, but we're, it's the need for awareness of these things is, is going to even become greater if that's possible because trouble lies ahead. And we need to know that whatever happens in your personal life or, or you know, our, our existence as Christians in this society, whatever the case Whatever happens, God is with us. He's in us. Jesus went to the cross to restore us to fellowship with God and He's given us another comforter, the presence of God within us to see us through the trouble that we face in this world. Those are great words of comfort and assurance for all who love and obey Christ. Would you stand, please?